his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Chris and Amy on KMOX. Another musical guest for us. We don't usually have a couple of musical guests in the same hour, but we've done it today. And we are glad to do it today because joining us on the Quiver River Electric guest line is Tom Worman, who is the author of Turn It Up, My Time Making Hit Records in the Glory Days of Rock Music. That was Cheap Trick, um, which you probably already know. This uh, book is available starting November 21st. It is available for pre-order now. And Tom Worman joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me here. We are. We're, we're really excited to have you here. And just um, out of recency, the reason is we have been, for some reason, we have been over the last couple of weeks on the show that we do at 1 o'clock with, uh, with Dave Glover, mm-hmm. we have talked a lot about Striper. And, <laughs> really? And, and I know you did. I know I you know did work. I know the reason. Why? I grew up... Well, I oh. still do. I listen to Christian music yeah. and, you know, the 80s and the 90s. But I was more like Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. And a couple of our hosts, including Chris Ranji, said, well, Striper. I you love You grew up Striper. listening to Striper, right? Yep. I, I had a lot of Striper tapes. Wow. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's, that's you know, I was pretty. What? Go, Go no, ahead. Yeah. No, you, I know you did. Uh, you did some work with them. I did. Uh, I was pretty surprised uh, that they asked me, uh, but they came and said we would like to do an album that is not, um, you know, particularly religious. Um, and I said, okay. I don't know what I would have done if they had said they wanted to do another <laughs> album that was that was um, specifically religious. But but anyway, I. I went down to their mother's house. She was managing them at the time in Orange County. And we, um, we had a very nice meeting and we wound up doing the album. And it was, these are among the nicest guys I ever worked with. Uh, Michael Sweet and Oz Fox and Robert Sweet. And uh, just, just great guys. I, uh, outside of Shining Star, I don't remember a whole lot of uh, cuts on the album. Um, we're talking about sometimes 40 years ago, and yeah. and it gets it gets tough uh, since I did 52 albums with 12 roughly 12 selections on each album. It's a little challenging for me to summon up the uh, the track list, but but uh, I we did have a great 
time. It was an easy record and um, probably should have been bigger than it was. So you, speaking of your career and all the albums that you've done, you've been retired from the music industry for a while. What? Quite a while, yeah. yeah what prompted you to write this book now? Well, um, about a few years ago, I started getting more requests for podcasts. And one of them that I did on the making of uh, Shout at the Devil, uh, speaking of Striper, um, <laughs> got, it had uh, 150,000 hits. And, and I said, well, when, this, this means that there are lots of people out there who are conscious of and possibly curious about classic rock. And I, you know, I, I, I think classic rock was roughly mid-50s to, well, for me, it was mid-50s to mid-90s. Um, but I'm talking about 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, and and uh, I, I wrote, I wound up uh, writing 18 episodes for a blog. Um, they, they really liked, the readers really liked it. Uh, so it became for me, uh, the skeleton of a book, the, the, in the model of a book. And I, I, I continued to write 10 or 15 minutes at a time. Uh, I never sat down to have a writing session and I would fit them in these little pieces that I wrote. I'd fit them in chronologically and it developed into a book, but it, you know, it, it, it took about three years. Sometimes I wouldn't write for a month. Um, and then I organized it, and uh, I, you know, it, I sent it to an agent, and he sent it to a publisher, and bang. It was a little easier than I thought. Well, but, you, um, you have a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you a longtime record producer, Tom Worman, is with us right now on KMOX. You worked with uh, Motley Crue, Poison, Cheap Trick that we played coming in out of break, Ario Speedwagon. Who, who would you say was, because I think... Um, we're always curious what artists are easy to work with and the ones who are not so easy to work with. Right. Well, that's pretty easy for me. Um, <laughs> by the way, I, I signed REO Speedwagon, but I, I never did have the opportunity to produce them. Um, they are still on the road after 50 years. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. They're um, huge in St. Louis, so- I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Champaign, Illinois, was where they started, and uh, yeah, they're they're very big. They've got a huge fan base now. Anyway, um, you were asking about the difficulty easy and hard. Yeah, easy. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and and uh, I think it's pretty. Cheap Trick was definitely the easiest because they were among the best, each one at his own instrument uh, or voice. Um, the most challenging, probably uh, Twisted Sister, um, a number of reasons. Um, the, the principal one being Dee Snyder. <laughs> and it was the only person that I really didn't get along with uh, in 20 years of, of making records. Really? Um, well, yeah, basically, um, and maybe George Lynch from Dokken, um But, you know, generally, these rock stars have a way of looking back 20 years later and not liking what they did, what, what you did for them, even though 
every single band approved the final mix before I handed it into the label. And, and, and you know, and some of these bands sold five million records uh, and then, um, you know, didn't like what I did. Uh, it's a little puzzling, really. But but I've rarely heard any band uh, praise their producer way down the line. They love you when uh, when they're selling records. And then 20 years later, you're you're to blame for whatever they failed to achieve. <laughs> you know? about it well after you graduated from columbia you went into advertising and i think you said you were on a (laughs) detergent and a jiff peanut butter account weren't very happy so you wrote a letter to clive davis who was heading up cbs records that's it Uh, (laughs) i did (laughs) well it it, you know it it was interesting it was a I, i the letter is reprinted in the book and and uh it's a pretty cheeky letter because I, I ended it by saying, I'll, I will call your office uh, next week to uh, set a meeting, you know, to arrange a meeting. I mean, you don't do that with Clive Davis. He, <laughs> he, he lets you know when he's, he might be available, but, but score, you know, getting, getting a meeting with Clive Davis in that time was like a, a Catholic seminary student scoring an audience with the Pope. It, it was seriously, it was, it, he was a, a very big deal. The most important man in the record industry was for quite a while. And uh, I interviewed with a few people at, at uh, CBS records, Columbia, Columbia records. Uh, and um, then I finally got to Clive and uh, he offered me a job on the spot. I was dealing from a position of strength. Really. I wasn't asking for my first job. I had a job. I had an MBA. And I was a musician and, you know, uh, they were, people were buying records like food then and, and, and they almost couldn't make them fast enough. So they were hiring and I, and I got, I got the best job in the world. They gave me a, 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 an American express card, a CBS corporate American express card and told me to go find hits. Nice. Mm. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So the fact you you did that was that uh, was that just confidence or ignorance? What what was that? <laughs> oh, a combination of the two. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, I, I I didn't have a lot of con. I had confidence that I had, um, you know, a taste in music that would um, translate to the public. In you know that I I I, I thought that if I liked it, other people would like it. 
and that I could tell what was what was good. I thought I had an ear. And, um, you know, I signed REO immediately uh, as soon as I started working there, really. Um, but then I, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I tried to sign, I, I came upon Kiss, uh, uh, Rush and Leonard Skinner, and, and I, I was turned down by my label when I tried to bring them to the label. Wow. Uh, so uh, by that time, they they knew that uh, I could hear, you know. They knew that 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 I had an ear because these bands went on to be yeah. pretty big, as as you know. Um, and then they asked me if I was interested in anything at the time, and and uh, you know, I said, yeah, well, I I'm interested in Ted Nugent, um, musically, not politically, and. He, uh, uh, you know, they said, you know, they went out. My new boss went out to see him with me and we signed him. And then I signed Cheap Trick and then I signed Molly Hatchet and I produced all of them uh, for uh, Epic as a staff producer because I I was still employed by Epic. Um, They didn't give me a whole lot of uh, money. um, So I left in 1982 and went independent and and started to make a decent living. But wasn't uh, Ted Nugent was the first artist you ever produced, right? You jumped right in with Ted Nugent? Yeah, I co-produced. They gave me co-producer credit because I was very concerned that if Ted wasn't a success, that I would probably not be able to keep my job. And um, because an A&R man has to, you know, he's got to sign a few bands. Uh, a few hit acts in order to keep his job. Um, so they gave me co-producer credit because I, I just horned in at the studio. I, I kept going into the studio, which was a couple of blocks from the, the CBS building. And I made suggestions. I didn't really respect the guy who was producing the album, who happened to own Ted's production contract. He, he owned Ted really. Um, so Ted appreciated uh, very much what I did for him on that record and the four more I made with him. And they gave me co-producer credit and bang, there it goes. And the first album was a platinum album. And, you know, I was a producer. Talk, that was it. So yeah. then I, I did my first solo album with Cheap Trick. We're talking with music producer, former music producer, Tom Worman, who is now uh, retired, author of Turn It Up, My Time Making Hit Records in the Glory Days of Rock Music. Uh, the That that hairband era, and we you know, we mentioned um, Poison, you know, the likes of Motley right. Crue, stuff like that. Um, when that was when that was happening, when that was starting, did it feel like I, in the beginning, did it feel like you were all onto something there, or was it, or or did it feel strange? Because it took me. I was a kid when it came through, and I don't know. I, I think it took me a little bit before I I I adopted it. Well, it, you know, it, it simply happened. Um, nobody developed that. It. I I don't know how it happened. I mean, how do we? Uh, we don't know how grunge happened. Uh, we don't know why all of a sudden Seattle became the creative, you know, center of new music. Um, you know, in the '90s or the late '80s, uh, it 
there just was a proliferation of bands, seemingly most of them from L.A., where I was living at the time, you know, and, and making records one after another. Um, it's uh, one band gets very big and looks a certain way. Um, it's for sure that a lot of other bands are going to emulate that one, are going to try to adopt that look, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and uh, join in the success. And it was a really runaway success. <clears throat> it became, you know, very corporate. Um, there, was, there were highly produced records and um, very finished and and then there was a complete backlash against that in the 90s where where tuning and precision and timing weren't really valued by musicians in fact sometimes they didn't want them so yeah. you know they said this this sounds too good this this sounds too corporate anyway but you know it was just another another trend yeah it, I mean, it's it's absolutely fascinating, and your career is fascinating, and we really appreciate you giving us time today. Thank you, Tom. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Tom Worman, author of Turn It Up, My Time Making Hit Records in the Glory Days of Rock Music. That album is available for pre-order now. It will be available, available on November 21st. You know, I grew up listening to my dad's vinyls from his college days, so the 70s. So I was listening to classic rock on vinyl from the 60s, the 70s, then into the 80s. And I know every generation, and of course that's not my generation, but every generation said, oh, well, back in my day. But don't you kind of feel like that 60s and 70s era was pretty groundbreaking? There was something special about that type of rock. Like well, it, it yeah, was I, moving from Elvis in the 50s to the Beatles to the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I mean, that was, of course, and I, I think grunge in the 90s was a huge shift. Mm-hmm. Um, hip-hop becoming mainstream was a massive shift, too. But just so, different different sounds, right? Hip-hop, very different from rock and roll. Sure. So it's just a different yeah. genre. But that classic rock, I don't know, there's something about the original generation of classic rock, Led Zeppelin, that... It, it it's staying power is evident. Yeah, and it, well, yes, I agree with that. I don't think it's any more staying than stuff from the '90s, and hmm. you know, like hip hip hop is is massive now because of what started in the '80s and then really blew up in the '90s. So I I would not, I don't think it's any more. Um, well, not compared I, to hip hop. I guess I just mean, do you think the original iteration of hip hop will have more staying power than new stuff? I guess that's what I mean. Of that genre, the birth of it, the onset of that genre has a staying power that I don't think modern rock bands Mm. have. I don't know. That's just how I feel. Because every generation knows about Zeppelin in the 70s in a way that I'm not sure 90s and 2000s will hold up. Maybe, maybe not. No, yeah, I I don't. um, I mean, it's great stuff, obviously. But I I think there's been a lot of really good music good artists with staying power that have happened in the last 30 years too. Uh, Amy Marks, Kors, and Chris Ranji. Hey, you got a thing? Go ahead and do that on KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams thanks for everything, Mom and Dad will always be worth it. 
Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.